Alrighty. So, welcome back to our fifth lesson in Stop Trying. We're talking about receiving, not achieving our identity. So for those of you that are joining us for the first time, this whole series has been all about our identity, how we understand ourselves. So if you look at the terms on the front of your handout tonight, if you look at the terms, just to get the idea of where we've been, when we speak about our identity, we're talking about the deepest idea of who we are, or the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. And there's usually an internal voice and an external voice, what I think about myself, and then on the outside, what others say about me. Now, how do we form that? What is identity formation? It happens, what we are trusting, or what are we are depending on to build ourselves. So some of we've talked about in some of these weeks is, We've talked about the fact that some people are trusting in their own, uh, like what they can accomplish, what they can do, or maybe other people, relationships they have there. So we talk about our identity. We're really talking about my intrinsic, my purpose, my value, my meaning, meaning sense of who I am. And so our world is very much in turmoil around that right now. And the scriptures give us such clear and helpful guidance. Well, if you remember last week, we talked about the difference between traditional and modern identity. Now, I was talking, Deborah and I were actually talking about this a little bit because we had some really good conversation last week around this idea. Um, and it's, a, it's an oversimplification. And I think we just need to understand that going in. It's, so when we say traditional identity versus modern identity, obviously there are there have been wonderful expressions in traditional cultures, and there have been harmful. It's just we're, we're oversimplifying it to help us understand it. So what, where we left off was traditionally people allowed others to define them. It could be their society. It could be uh, the, a cultural idea. It could be an education establishment they're, they're, they're a part of. It could be their family. But they were who others expected them to be. And we talked about how that has strengths and it has weaknesses. But now, the, if that is the traditional sense of identity, how does the, somebody tell me, we'll get a little conversation right from the start, how does the, mo what is the, what, how does the modern identity work for people? How do people perceive themselves now, as opposed to the traditional sense? Who wants to help get us started? No What's that? Right, so there's no boundaries. There's nobody telling you who you have to be. There's no you. It's, but it's based on, instead of being based externally, it's based internally. How I feel, how I think. So what we talked, yep, go ahead. There's not as much guidance. There's not as much guidance. So that's one of the difficulties about it, actually. So on the one hand, it's not oppressive. But on the other hand, it's frustrating because there is not no guidance. I think we're going to need some more handouts. I think we've got some folks coming in tonight. So coming in. Second, the second crew is coming in. So no, we've got plenty of handouts. It's, you don't have to give it up. So all righty. So we are going to look at a few passages tonight. Welcome. Glad to have you. Any, sit anywhere you'd like. Uh, Mike is going to come around with handouts for this evening. So. Come on in. 
we're glad to have you. Folks traveling in the first. Ah, oh, great. Well, we're glad that you joined us for Bible study tonight. Where are you from? Coastville, Pennsylvania. All right. Well, welcome to the Berkshires. You've got some beautiful weather. It's awesome. All right. So, we are, so to catch us back up to speed here, we're talking, we're in our fifth lesson on understanding identity and what the Bible has to say about it. So, traditionally, people looked to outside sources of validation, but contemporary people, modern people, they're looking for their internal source of validation, who they are. And what we discover is that neither of those are particularly helpful. Because on the one hand, you're overly dependent on others, but then the people in our modern world, while they may have thrown off the oppressive expectations of other people, now I'm left with a myriad of choices. Everything from my, um, everything from my, uh, um, the way I view myself professionally to my gender or sexuality. And that's how broad our culture has become where it leaves it up to us to kind of figure out who we are. Well, obviously we know that Jesus gives us certainty. Jesus gives us a bedrock to stand on. He defines who we are, and then he creates who he wants us to be. And so last week we looked at how the world is confused about it. Whether you're ultra-conservative or ultra-liberal, that's not the answer. The answer is what does the Bible say, what Jesus said. So... With that in mind, we begin today's lesson, which is losing to find. So we're going to look at a large passage of scripture, a couple of large passages of scripture, but I also want to begin with this verse right here. It's on your handout, and that's Luke 9, verse number 24. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And so that's one of these paradoxical messages of Jesus, that what we, what we expect, uh, Jesus works in the opposite very often. So let's see how this, this plays out. So we've gone through our terms. What we're going to do right now is we're going to do two, we're going to profile two people in Scripture and how they rediscovered their identity in Christ. So I want to begin in John chapter 21. So you can either follow along with me or turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Apostle Peter. So John 21. And let's take a look, first of all, at the, these two people, two people who really embodied what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus says in Luke, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. So let's begin with Peter. John chapter 21, and let's pick it up in verse number 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. So this is how we, we're about to get the synopsis of how Jesus appears to the disciples. Now, this is post-resurrection, after his resurrection. There were together Simon and Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I love this statement that Peter says, Simon Peter says to them, he looks at the other disciples, and he says, guys, I'm going 
fishing. Now, why does Peter go fishing at this point in time? Some of you know a little bit of the story. Uh, others, you may not. Where, where, where's Peter's frame of mind? What's going on where Peter says, I'm going fishing? What's happened? Going back? Well, he's, yeah, because he knows fishing. He knows a little bit about fishing. And where has Jesus left off? Have they seen Jesus since he's resurrected? They have, I, I do, they have seen him. So there's, there have been appearances, but they're not spending the time with Jesus like they did before his death and resurrection. Jesus is coming and going. He's appearing to them. And so Peter, yep, go ahead. He's got to be working through that, right? I mean, the last serious, significant amount of time he spent with Jesus, he said, I'll go with you to death. And then he denied him. So, yeah, so this is the aftermath of all of this. Yep. Point. Not only Peter, but the rest of them, they're not sure what they're supposed to be doing. That's a good point. Because who they thought they, and you see how this is going to lead into this discussion of identity, because up until a few weeks ago, these guys are like, we are the disciples of Jesus, we're going to change the world, and, and then he dies. And not only does he die, but they completely forsook him, they are completely embarrassed, like who they thought that they were just came crashing down, and it's really not demonstrated more clearly in anybody as much as it is with Peter. I mean, Peter's gone from, and we saw him a few weeks ago. We've looked at him a lot in this study. Peter's gone from here to here. Hero to zero, as they say nowadays, right? That's Peter's view of himself. But he does know a thing or two about fishing. So he's going to go fishing. So let's see how it goes. I go a fishing. They say unto them, they say to him, all right, we're with you. We'll go too. So they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night caught nothing. What's going on here? I'm just, if you're Peter, how are you feeling that morning as the boat's starting to head back to shore? Down. <laughs> yeah, shoot, that's an understatement, right? Well, how are you feeling? What kind of thoughts are probably going through your, your mind? Well, this is how he would provide for them. So it's probably really worried about it. Could be worried? Like now? Like this, what, what else is going through his mind? I know what I'd be thinking. I'm like, forget being, you know, some great follower of Jesus. I can't even catch fish. Like, I, I, can't, even, I can't even catch fish, right? Big L. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he's just feeling like, you, you did, and we as, and again, I don't speak for the ladies in here because I am not a lady. I do know the definition of a woman. So, however, um, as a man, like, we really, we build a lot in, in our sense of worth and value and what we can do, what we can achieve. So if I'm Peter, I mean, like, we're joking about it, but I would be at a low point right now. I'm hoping to bring in a, like if I had brought in a net full, I'd been like, okay, things are turning around. And you're like, well, it's just fish. Yeah, but it's, it's what he does. It's, 
It's a small win in a, in a just loss after loss after loss after loss. I don't think it's a coincidence that they didn't catch anything. I think that the Lord directed all those fish far away from that boat. I think they swam in circles all around the boat and said, nope, no way. And the Lord just moved them away. And everywhere Peter and those guys went, those fish just were not getting in the net. Wasn't happening. Why? Because he's breaking Peter down. He's breaking him down. That is right. And it's like we could, we're here and we're like, yeah, that's right. But boy, it's uncomfortable when he's breaking us down. And this is what we're, this is our life. This is what we deal with is in following Jesus. We cannot receive the identity, the purpose, the value, the meaning that he has for our lives unless we're willing to go through the valley with him first. So this is Peter. That night, they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No! <laughs> Jesus knew what they had. Did you catch anything? How was how the fishing? No, nothing. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Now, I think this might have been when they first started to figure out who they were talking to. Why, why do I think that? Some of you that paid attention in Sunday school. Why do you think this might be the moment that they are like, hmm, have we heard this before? Jim, you had your hand up first. Yeah. Back when uh, Jesus first <coughs> called them to go with them, mm -hmm. this same scenario happened then. The scene has played out before. And the last time, the last time Jesus said, cast your net on the other side, and they're like, oh, we have fished all night and got nothing. Why would we do that? But nevertheless, your word, we will do it. And they, so I think that probably about now they start to figure that this just isn't some stranger on the shore. So they, there's no hesitation. They cast therefore. And now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Isn't this interesting how, how the Lord works through physical, in a good sense, carnal things of life. Like here's, like it's just fish, right? Like there's no sermon yet. It's just fish, you're going to say. I think it's, it's very interesting that, I think it happens in our lives too, that sometimes when you're going through something like Peter, the Lord, I think there's times the Lord has to bring you back to where it all began. Mm, yeah, that's... And uh, I remember being at a preacher's meeting, meeting, the preacher got up and he preached Daniel in the lion's den to a room full of preachers about a Sunday school message as you could. And the preachers were in just it was the best message of the meeting. And all the preachers just all ears listening to a story that they had preached and, and yeah. heard their whole lives. Yeah. So I think Peter's going back to where he started. He's got to bring it back to where he called Peter. That's, that's very true. They've, this has happened again. And I think there's encouragement coming from the Lord here, too. Like, I think this is symbolic to, Pete, to, to these guys. Like, we're not done. It's not over. There's, there's a future ahead. But that future is only available after everything's come crashing down. Yep. Yeah, tell them to go. Uh, 
You're gonna finish the story? We're not, you're gonna like do the spoiler now or what? <laughs> you wanna take my place or what? <laughs> Go ahead, finish. I've just given yeah. everything. He's about to like tell them like like go feed my sheep. Right. And it's pretty like beautiful how like his ministry um <clears throat> with Jesus started with that and then now his like part two yeah, it's very true. Yeah, I like that. So they catch all the fish, and therefore that disciple whom Jesus loves, he looked, that's John. Of course, he's writing this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John is writing, and he looks at Peter, and he said, It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was the net, or the, was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. Isn't it interesting that they, they were doing all the work, but the, breakfast was already ready. Like Jesus had already cooked it. Bring your fish over, but they, there it is. He's done it. Remember, the whole theme of this study is that we need to stop trying. It's not about us accomplishing. It's about resting in the what Jesus has done for us. And here the Lord of the universe cooks breakfast over a fire for these, these disciples. None of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them. He, he not only is the cook, but he's the waiter. He comes around. He serves them. Bread and fish. Now this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? He said unto him, Lord, Thou knowest all things, thou knowest I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. Peter restarts. Same thing, Mike, like you said before. 
the scene plays over, and then he says again, follow me. Just like he said when he first called him. So here's Peter in a boat, fishing, follow me. Three times Jesus says, do you love me? Why do you, what do you think this is the significance of the, we don't know for sure, but I think we can all make some healthy conjecture. What do you think the significance of the three, do you love me, is? Jesus said you deny him three times. I think that has a lot to do. I think that's what's happening here. Yeah. There might be other things, but I think it's just like Peter denied the Lord three times. Jesus told him he would. Now three times. Do you love me? Yes, James. I was thinking also that um, just repetitiveness adds emphasis to whatever he said. Yeah. yeah. So I think that he repeats it three times. is also that emphasis to it as well. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that Jesus wanted to hear it three times? <laughs> no, I mean, really? Because he knew it, that, that, that Peter, what Peter had gone through, and it's, it's finished. Like Peter's whole identity arc, if you follow his identity arc through, the, through his life, I mean, he's just been up here and down here and up here, and it's almost as if to me is Jesus has, Jesus has not... He's finished the earthly work he's going to do with Peter. And he hears him say it three times to him. So Jesus offers him something different. Peter is not going to create himself now, Jesus. Jesus, we talk a lot about um, our culture today. The big word is deconstruction. How many of you hear that a lot? Like deconstructed. This person is deconstructed. Deconstruct this and deconstruct that. Well, it's... Sometimes deconstruction has to happen. It definitely happened here. But let's talk about what we're actually constructing. What's actually being built? What's being established in a life? That word life is interesting too. Do you remember that we looked at the, the, the passage here in Luke? And he says in Luke chapter 9, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. This is a bit of interesting linguistics. The word, uh, and you have this in your notes, but the word life in the Bible that Jesus uses is very often, it's not 100%, but very often the word is the Greek word suke, from which the English word psyche is derived. And I think that little bit of color on the word usage helps us think when we talk about life, and identity, and life. Just think about that word life. Life is more, when I ask you, hey, how is your life going? What am I actually getting at? Am I talking about the physical state of not being dead? Is that how we're defining it? No. We all know there's more to it. If somebody says, boy, life is going well, or my life's not going well, what are we really talking about? Your state of mind, your, the, the, the condition of your soul, your emotion, really your sense of, how, of who you are in that moment. So it's interesting that I think that word usage is, is, is very interesting. Now, I think one of the things, too, you see the quote from the book uh, in your handout. One thing to remember about the gospel is that it doesn't only offer you a place in heaven. And that's a wonderful gift of salvation. That's, that's what we're all so grateful for. But it also brings you into this 
relationship with God. And this is that question, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it's taken and it's remade the most sinful, broken, and fragile part of who you are. Gospel is not just a door you step through once. I love this quote, but rather an ocean you swim in every day. The gospel that we are saved by grace through faith and that Jesus is making us who we ought to be. That's not something, it's not like, well, I got saved and I walked through that door and now that's behind me. No, the point is that this is the, this is the realm in which we live. The life that we have in Christ. And so we see that with Peter. We see with Peter that his... Um, any final uh, before I move on any any final thoughts on Peter okay so I said that there were two now this is a and I think we all identify with with different types and so we've got two I think extremes that we're going to look at and how Jesus meets both so if you were to give me a type of Peter what's his type if you were to describe him, what kind of a person, what's his profile? Peter, who is he? Give me some words. Impulsive. Type A. Type A, yes. He is type A. How else would you describe Peter? Spontaneous. Spontaneous. What else? Emotional. Emotional. Little crude. Little crude, yeah. Bold. A go-getter. Get stuff done. Other people might be sitting around, Peter's like, no way, we're going to go accomplish something, we're going to make something happen. Everybody's at the Mount of Transfiguration, we saw that a couple weeks ago too, and they see Jesus and Moses and Elisha, and everyone's like, wow, and Peter's like, let's build something right now. We're going to build a tavern, some tabernacles here. Jesus is like, no, you're not, but, but that's who he is. And so there are some people, this whole thing about identity in Christ is not for one type of person. Right? There's a lot of people that think, like, well, you know, Christianity is for soft people, or it's for the message of Jesus is for, you know, very sensitive people, or it's, and there's kind of stereotypes out there, right? But I think Peter is an example of somebody who is the, I mean, he's, he's a man's man, rugged, get things done, but he had to learn that that wasn't going to get him through. His human strength and ability was only going to get him so far. Jesus had to break that down and do a new work in his life. But now we come to a person very different than Peter. Very different because this person is a woman. She's not a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Not only is she a Samaritan, but she has a less than stellar past. She's got a lot of baggage in her life. Jesus deals with her a little bit differently, but similarly. Notice this, as she is both deconstructed and made new in Christ. Um, John chapter 4, verse 3, we'll begin there. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So it's the noon, it's the noonday. It's hot. And he sits by the well. And there comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, um, his disciples have been sent on a mission. They don't know that this is going on. Jesus is here at the well. It's a public place. But the disciples, if they had at first seen him talking to the Samaritan woman, would have been a bit scandalous to them. Not in any improper way, but from a cultural standpoint. Scandalous because it doesn't matter if she's a woman, man, whatever, she's a Samaritan. We don't talk to those people. We have deep-seated racial and ethnic and cultural prejudice against these Samaritans. So we don't spend time with them. But Jesus knows that she's going to be there. And so she comes and Jesus says to her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would, wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee, what's he say? Living water. So immediately he goes right to the heart of her greater need. He opens the conversation saying, you need living water. I'm not here to talk with you just about this water. So he, he just gets right to it. The woman says to him, she's not quite following yet. Maybe a puzzled look on her face. Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where are you getting this living water from? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinks of this water, I see him pointing in the well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. Neither come hither to draw. I don't think she still is quite getting it. I think she's, she's I, I don't know. Like how I read it, she's still not quite there. Jesus saith unto her, go, call thy husband and come hither. Now we get to learn a little bit more about her. Go get your husband. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Because you've had five husbands. And the one you're living with now isn't your husband. Oh! That had to sting at that mo moment. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. All right, help me out here. What is this woman's idea? We talked about where Peter was at. Where's she at? If we, could, if we could imagine, if we could see how she views herself, what's going on at, at this moment, this identity journey that's on. Somebody get me started. 
she's probably an outcast. That's very true. She's well known within the community, but not for good reason. It would have been very culturally unacceptable to have been married that many times. More so, you think of, you think of how people would look down on someone today for their poor relationship choices. Multiply it by a thousand, how this woman would have been viewed. What else? What's interesting is she's alone. Yeah. She doesn't go when the other women go. Right. Yeah. It was, that's a good point. It's very common for the women to come together. Yeah. Yeah. It seems in the so passage that she's yeah. all alone. She's not going when everybody else does. She's probably somebody, she's not a Peter. No. She's not a, I've got all this self-confidence. I'm going to change the world. Right? There are some people that come to Jesus and they've got to get broken down. There's other people that come to Jesus. Already there. Yeah. yeah. They're there. Like life has just beat them down. The world has just beat them down. But isn't it interesting how Jesus deals with her? Does he just say, hey, feel better about yourself. You're okay. He doesn't actually. He actually acknowledges and digs in a little bit to the cause of her shame. It out. And I think we need to be careful in our culture today. It's so important. What we learn from this is Jesus shows mercy and compassion to the people who are already broken. But there is one kind of idea out there that there's almost virtue in being broken. Right? Like, like well, just come and everything's okay. He, he brings this, he does bring this woman to the point where she has to acknowledge who she is and what she's done. We don't just gloss over it and move on. And it almost seems a little harsh for Jesus to say this to her. Like he literally could have said it much, he could have, he could have made this less awkward, right? He could have said, listen, I know that you've been through a lot. I know a lot about your story. I know about your marriages, but I'm here to offer you living water. He doesn't. He gives her very harsh questions. Not, I shouldn't say harsh, but pointed. Go get your husband. She has to say it. Just like Peter had to be humbled through his moment, just because people are broken and wounded doesn't mean they don't have to be humbled and acknowledge their sin. Right. Right. But she does. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful part of the story is, on the one hand, there's a Peter who thinks he's got everything to offer Jesus, but he really has nothing. Here's a woman that knows she has things to offer. But Jesus says, but I want you. I, w I want you in my kingdom. I have a purpose and a plan for your life. Different identity arc, but it's the same solution. That you do not find the answer in yourself. You find it in Jesus. There's a problem with it also where it's good news that she has to admit her sin, but good news is that he still loves her. Right. That he still gave her his life for Yeah. I've heard the gospel presented as bad news, good news. But I think it's actually good news, bad news, good news. Yeah. The good news is you always start with God loves you. 
God loves you. Jesus comes to her and, and initiates out of his love. But then there is some bad news. But then the good news is, okay, I love you. Oh, that's great. I know everything about you. That's bad. I still love you. That's even better. She can realize that that she did sin, but I forgive you and uh, and, and not be so hot that right. you need to be truthful with yourself. Absolutely. If you're not, it, it's going to get worse. Exactly. People, I see people say you'll be all right. You got Christ, but they don't. They don't say. Is this what happened in your life? Why are you doing it? Right. Do you realize you're doing it? Exactly. That's how I minister to people. Well, let's see what happens. In it too. You're right. Let's see what happens. So they have this. I'm going to skip over the, the questions. He, she has these questions about Jew versus Samaritan. Jesus. Um, let's see. The hour cometh and now is, Jesus says, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. She has some questions about who the Messiah is. Well, I hear there's a Messiah coming. He's going to tell us all these things. And then Jesus says to her, I that speak unto thee am he. I'm the Messiah. I'll give you living water. Now, if we were to go to the end of the story, do you, many of you know, do you know what this woman ends up doing? She goes back to Samaria, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And many, many of the Samaritans follow her, come to Jesus, and become disciples of Christ. What a, so the most outcast woman in the community has become the greatest evangelist in the community. Only the gospel of Jesus can do that. There's no amount of self-discovery, of self-improvement, of religious performance. There's nothing that can do that except for the pure grace of Jesus. Remember, that's not the door you walk through, that's the ocean you swim in if you're a Christian. So two questions. Two questions. First of all, have you begun that relationship with Jesus? Has there been a moment in your life? Has there been a time in your life where you recognized, like this woman, that you were a sinner and you needed Jesus to save you? That's where it begins. If that has never happened, you can make that decision right now. The Bible says that if you will confess if you will repent of your sin and you will believe on Jesus, you'll be saved. You could pray to him even while I'm talking. You could say, yes, Jesus, that's what I want. I'm a sinner. I want you to save me. I believe in you. If you'll do that, you'll begin that life with Christ. But the rest of us now, if you've already done that, this is our, this is our identity in Christ. We, live in a, we are to live every day in a place where it is not about who we are trying to make ourselves to be. It's about who Christ is. It is about who Jesus is making us, what he is doing. Jesus offers us a new, a new purpose, a new self. That's why 
You know, the world thinks that it, people think that, you know, identity is something that's only just been discovered in, you know, modern times people are talking about it. Well, Jesus introduced it when he said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Born again. Well, let's, there's really two aspects to this. So I've, I'm, I've kind of lost my place in the notes here. So I'm just going to wrap it up. I think point number two on the back is the idea that you and I are going to experience similar, you and I are going to experience similar journeys. And it could be even right now, the Lord is deconstructing something in your life so that he can rebuild. I know, like, I won't get into it, but I, I had an experience like this just this past year that I had to go through where it was nothing like major life-altering from the outside you'd never even know. But internally, I had to let go of some things and just surrender to the Lord. And it, anyway, that's me. <laughs> but you've got something in your life. Could it be related to your health or your family or your career or your finances? There's something where Jesus is saying, you are not going to do this on your own. It's going to be me and my grace. Now, let's just talk about this. It, number three, there's a little bit of theology here. How does Jesus do this? Well, the two, two words that every Christian needs to understand is salvation and sanctification. Salvation is all-encompassing. It's the fact that when you come to know Christ, when you come to know Christ, you are saved. I mean, you're saved, ultimately, you're saved from your sin. But you're saved from a lot else, too, aren't you? You're saved from yourself. You're saved from the power of sin. You're saved from the penalty of sin. You're saved. What are people in our modern world, our modern sense of identity, isn't everybody just looking for some kind of salvation? Think about the extreme examples. And again, I don't mean, I don't say these things flippantly because I know we have, we know people, we have friends, neighbors, maybe even family that internally they're, they're torn up over this. But just think about it for a minute. I'll say it as sensitively as I can. There are people that are looking, they, they will say something like, well, I feel like I'm trapped in this body. So I will recreate my whole sexual or gender identity to save myself from this. They're looking for some sort of salvation. Listen to, I was somewhere recently where I was listening to, I, I, I was, it was at the ski area, I was skiing last week, and they play you know, a lot of pop music or, or oldies or whatever over the speakers, and I'm listening to this song about, it's basically a song about a sexual encounter. And the whole thing is about finding freedom. I'm listening to that, I'm thinking, boy, that is, that is so true of our culture. It's if I can run into this relationship, I will be saved. Now, not salvation in heaven, you know, but that's what people are looking for. It's some sense of salvation. Why do people, if things aren't, think about what men do. If things aren't going well at home, they throw themselves where? Into their work. Right? Or the gym, or, what, or the hobby, or whatever. Everybody's looking for some level of salvation. But what they don't realize is they need ultimate salvation in Christ. But then for those of us who have found that, our salvation continues through the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification. That's just a fancy word. It's a biblical word. 
for, and it means this, being made holy. Being made holy. Day by day, the Lord is continuing to save us. We're saved once and for all. It be, at the moment you believe in Christ, you're saved forever, but that salvation is not stagnant, it's continuing. You are, we are being saved each and every day. Being saved from ourselves, being saved from the power of sin, being saved from our addictions, being saved from, you can just go on the whole list. This is that process of what Jesus is doing. So why do even some Christians... Why do we struggle sometimes with these kinds of things we've been talking about tonight? You're like, I'm saved. I know Christ. Why do I still struggle with this? Because we're not allowing his sanctifying process in our lives. So, we are out of time. A couple of minutes over. And so there are some discussion questions, though, that we've got. We won't have time to do, do all of this, but think about this first one and how it ties in. Jesus' redemption, it brings acceptance, security, and significance. Didn't it do that for Peter and the woman at the well? Acceptance, security. Acceptance, I think we understand. He died for you. How does it bring security? A secure, rock-solid in itself. Because instead of trying to find our identity and instead of trying to make ourselves into something, we can fill the shoes that God has for us. Yeah. It's secure. It's secure because it's already been accomplished. It's not up to us. It's just a question if we've... Jesus has already done all the work that needs to be done. We just have to receive it. So there's security because it's not, it's not up to us. And then, of course, great significance because we are loved by the Father. So why don't we trust him? Why, even Christians sometimes. Why do we not? Why do we not trust him? Think we know better. Huh? Think we know better. Think we know better? Yeah. Got a plan? Lack of faith. Lack of faith. Yeah, I was thinking this. Up, yeah, there are a lot of things in the Christian life that are simply like we just have to believe God. You know, I was thinking about people. I was. Somehow I was thinking recently about people that struggle with like addictive sins or whatnot. I, heard, I think it was because my dad was teaching in Sunday school about like sexual problems like pornography, etc. And I thought like, what, why do people struggle so much with that? And I thought, you know why? It's because they don't believe what God says about it. Because I thought to myself, I was like, you know what? You could pour me the nicest looking, best smelling cup of antifreeze. That I've ever seen and I wouldn't drink it it could be the, the the pink one the blue one or the purple one I wouldn't drink any of them do you know why because it's what because it's poison it's gonna kill me I don't think about it I don't go to classes I don't have a I don't have a I don't have a um, uh, antifreeze accountability partner to keep me from drinking antifreeze Right? Because it's going to kill me. And so there's a lot of things in the Christian life that we overcomplicate. If God says it's going to poison your soul and rot you, and rot you from the inside out, don't do it. But it starts with believing that, like at your core. 
Like, well, God said this. And that's, there's so, so much of the Christian life is just trust what God said and do what he says. Just do it. Because he's already worked it all out for us. Katie, you, were gonna, you want to say something? I came to you late, so that's how you had me end up before. And then yeah, I went off. At first, it was like the whole um, um, security thing. And I agree, it was just the identity. When his, in the beginning, you're saying external or internal. But, mm -hmm. like, but once you can uh, be with the eternal. Um, <laughs> that's good. You know, and so and then I was thinking about like presence is a great way to just connect instead of trying to get to the salvation or trying to reach, you know, God or whatever. It's like because trying is not receiving. That's actually being in your internal or external. Yeah. That's not being in the presence. And then I was kind of just thinking of the word presence because it's a like pretty sense and the whole psyche being the life thing. And it's almost just like if you can just be in tune and present, you can tune into the grace and then kind of just be guided from there. Mm. It, last week we looked at the verse that said, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there is that. We are in the presence of God. So we're out of time. We need to spend some time in prayer. So just make sure, as we, as we wrap up tonight, just those two things. The, I asked those two questions before. Are you sure that you've begun that relationship with Jesus? Has there been a moment where you'd say, yes, I, at this point in time, I repented of my sin and my way, and I put my faith in Jesus? If you're unsure, speak with me after the service. You'd say, you know what, Ethan, I'm just not sure I've ever done that. If you're one of the men, you want to speak to me, or if you're a lady, you don't feel comfortable with that, you can speak to my wife or one of the other ladies here. you say, I, I want to make sure I understand that I've begun that life with Christ. And then the, for the rest of us, what great passages tonight to challenge us, to help us just rest in what Jesus is doing. Whatever God is doing in your life right now, it's for your good and his glory. And so embrace it and thank him for it. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and thank you for the word tonight. I just pray that you'd meet each need in the way that only you can. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to what you're doing in our lives and how you want us to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.